Good to have you all here today. They're calling for all kinds of stuff out there. I think sometimes that's just to get people to watch the news. But we'll see what uh, happens. Before we start here this morning, I wanted to read to you. I love getting uh, feedback from folks who take the Word of God that they learn and put it to work. And uh, Bob McNally sent me an email on Tuesday this week. He said, I've used what we heard on Sunday twice this week with great results. Both times, didn't know how to resolve a PC problem. I was given the fix. That's over at his uh, new job. Asked for wisdom. Asked for wisdom to know what that he gives it when we, and know that he gives it when he, when we ask. Both times I got an idea to try something. I acted on it and it worked. <laughs> Isn't that good? God wants us to be able to solve stuff and it's a whole lot easier than wasting our time trying this, trying that, and trying another thing. And we're going to continue looking at some things on that today. Over in Acts chapter 16 is where we'll begin. This is called Biblical Stories from Children. Now, the church is meant to supplement, you know, what we have going on at home. We teach the Word of God at home. We teach the Word of God in church. But sometimes we have a pretty tough, tough, pretty tough job teaching the kids about the Bible. And here's a, uh, some statements that some children made in a Sunday school class. Moses led the Hebrews to the Red Sea where they made unleavened bread, which is bread made without any ingredients. The Egyptians were all drowned in the desert. Afterwards, Moses went up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Amendments. The first one was when Eve told Adam to eat the apple. The fifth one is to humor thy father and mother. Moses died before he reached Canada. Then Joshua led the Hebrews into the battle of Jericho. The greatest miracle in the Bible is when Joshua told his son to stand still and he obeyed him. David fought with the Finkelsteins. Solomon, one of David's sons, had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. Well, sometimes we can hear the right thing and it not quite register. How many have ever been there with that? You hear the right thing, but it doesn't quite come into the right, the right way. Last week, we looked at wisdom, praying to God and asking God for wisdom, and then acting on that and, and, and what to do. But we said that uh, most people pray for things to come or for things to go away. That's what we spend most of our time praying for, for things to come to us or for things to go away from us. But the number one need that we have in navigating this life here is wisdom. That should be the number one thing we ask God for is for wisdom. The reason problems are problems is the uncertainty of what to do. We said there are three factors that make up a, pro- a problem, to make a problem big to us. The first is uncertainty of action. The second is fear of acting. And the third is inadequacy to act. Too many Christians pray for trials, test problems to be removed instead of them to be resolved. In Psalm 119, verse 104, just to read these again to you in wisdom. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Proverbs 4 and verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Proverbs 4 and verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and in all you're getting. Get understanding. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. 
We then looked at David and Absalom, and we saw how David had a problem with Absalom, and he asked the Lord for wisdom, and we saw how he acted on that wisdom when it came and how it worked. We also looked at, uh, as we finished up, how I got into a problem is not as important as getting out of the problem. Amen to that. Prepare to deal with the problem is the first thing we need to do. Ask for wisdom. Watch your speech. Recognize it when it comes. Recognize the wisdom when it comes. And then act on it. We have to first all be ready to deal with the problem before we ask for wisdom. If you are not ready to deal with the problem, there's no sense in asking for wisdom. Ask for the wisdom. Know that God is going to give it to you. Watch your speech afterwards. Because if you talk in such a way as to create doubt and unbelief that what you prayed for is yours, you really have undone it. And James, in the very same passage, says you'll be a a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. You're not going to receive anything from the Lord. Recognize the wisdom when it comes. And then when it comes, act on it. Don't try and figure it out. Too many times in the Word of God, people try to, well, how's walking around a bunch of walls going to do anything? How's dipping in the Jordan River going to help my situation? Don't sit there and try and figure out. If God gave it to you, you need to act on it. We'll get more on that as we go on through here today. As we look through the the um, Word of God on this, beside having wisdom to act on things that come against us, wisdom for certain situations, there's also times we need the wisdom of God in the area of guidance and direction. What should I do? How many of y'all know if we had the wisdom of God every time we had to make a decision, we would make right decisions every time? You wouldn't be led into something wrong. You would... Uh, you know, t- take the right job, buy the right car, make the right investment, do all good things with your money, never buy something you didn't need. <laughs> we would do all these kind of things. We would recognize the wisdom of God in decisions, in direction, and in guidance. And as much as acting on things is important for us to have the wisdom of God on, so too is having the wisdom of God in direction. So we want to take a look at that. Here, because this is still something we can pray for. We're going to ask God for wisdom. But sometimes it's not for things. Sometimes it's just for direction and where we need to go. In verse 1 of chapter 16, Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to give wanted to have him go with him. And he took him and circumcised him before the Jews who were in the region, for they all knew his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and the elders of Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. I want you to take something, uh, note of a few things on this verse. First off, they were not forbidden to go to Asia. doesn't say that, does it? What does it say? They were forbidden to preach the word in Asia. So here is Paul who has the call to take the gospel message to the heathen world, the Gentile world, and he has to go through the area of Asia in order to get to where he's going next. And not preach the word. How many times have you looked at this and and thought he's not allowed to go to Asia? And so he went someplace else. That's not what it says. It says he's not allowed to preach the word in Asia. If you're calling, whole purpose God puts you here for is just to teach his word 
and you're in an area that doesn't have it, and the Lord tells you, don't teach it here. How many of you have a problem with that? How many might argue with that? And I can't be God. This is my purpose. This is why I'm here. I'm supposed to. I'll just preach it anyway, and whoever gets saved gets saved, and, and we'll just go ahead. No, that's not what we're supposed to do, is it? We've got to listen. We've got to respond. One of the hardest things in this life is to learn how to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Some people learn it easily. Some people never learn it until the day they die. Some people think they have learned it and they don't know at all what they're doing. I'll give you an example of this. How many know that uh, when you're driving a car that some cars handle very well and some cars don't? There are some cars that are not made to handle really well. How many have ever driven in one of those big trucks? You know, you drive a big truck. Uh, I used to drive one. We used to hate this truck over at uh, uh, the, the place. It's the only Ford we have. And I like Fords, but this was a this was a truck from the pit of hell, I think. It was horrible. There was nothing good about this truck except it was the biggest truck we had and could carry the heaviest load. And that's the only time we used it when we had to carry a big load. So every time you're carrying this is because what you're carrying is too heavy for all the rest of the trucks. So this truck is called into service. All of our trucks were manuals, every single one of them. But this manual was created by people that just should not have been designing things. <laughs> because you didn't just, uh, you know how you get in the car, if you've ever been in a stick shift, you know, you're, you're shifting like this. Not in this truck. This truck, it is a job. You have to move your entire body because you've got to shift it all the way up here and then all the way back here and then all the way up here. And it wasn't first, second, third, fourth. It was low. Anybody ever driven a truck that has a low? Dear Lord. <laughs> you have to do low before you can even get into first. And then second and then third. And oh, I'll tell you, what, it just was a, it was a struggle to drive this thing. And you, you know those trucks that you get behind and the red, the light turns green and it takes them a long while to go? This is one of those trucks. No matter how much you want that truck to get going, it's not going to go very fast. And it handled terribly. But again, it's not made to handle all that well. Most of the time we drove this other truck, it was a sh uh, shifter as well. And it didn't have, didn't have to work quite as hard, but it was a... Uh, it was um, no power steering was involved in this at all. We drove a truck most of the time with no power steering. And um, it was fine as long as you're moving, but if you're ever in a parking lot somewhere, you had to really stand up and <laughs> move that thing on around. It's not, it's not made for that sort of stuff. So most of the time I was driving these trucks, I, was, uh, I would come back and park the truck and then get the opportunity to drive an entirely different vehicle, and that was the probe that I had for so many years. Now, the probe was made to be handled. The steering was the best steering I have ever had in a car, ever. I've never had a car to this day that steers as well as that car did. The main reason I got it was uh, I love Mustangs, but this car outhandled a Mustang. And I love the way it, it was fast, and it could handle the curves. The best drive I have ever had in my life, I still remember it to this day, was when my wife's brother, one of his brothers, was getting married. Michael, he was getting married up in New Jersey, and there was this road, and I was going to meet them there because I had to leave early to come back here for church. And so I was driving myself. I was the only one in the car. 
Do you know what happens to a man who's behind the wheel with a stick shift and a car that handles really, really well, and there is no one else in the car? <laughs> Glory to God. Mm. I'll tell you what, you could do anything you want, and no one's going to say anything about it. But the real fun of driving this car was not driving it fast. The real fun in the, of driving this car was driving it around curves. That was the beauty of this car. Now, if you've ever driven over in New Jersey, they have a couple of these roads that just wind all over the place. And this was one of those roads. And have you ever been up to some of those sharp turns where they have the yellow sign and they give you a suggested speed limit? That is a suggestion. <laughs> At least I read them that way. We suggest that you go, you know, 15 miles an hour through there. Nope, this car doesn't have to go 15 miles an hour. This car, this car could generally stay at the speed limit through any turn I would go in. You downshift into the turn. Oh, it's, it, boy, we had fun. Oh, I tell you what. Its center of gravity was so low and it just, it was a dream to drive that car around turns. And oh, I had so much fun. To this day, I still remember that drive with everything going there and coming back. Boy, did I have fun. But you see, the reason that you could do that and the reason you could do some of the things with that that you wouldn't do with some of the others is because you know it responds. I know how that car responded. I know that going around a turn that most cars had to take around 15, I could take it 35 or 40. And it wasn't straining to, to stay on, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like it was dangerous. It, it handled it just fine. You downshifted into it. You turned and you wonder, oh, it's just wonderful. My truck, I love the truck that I'm in right now, but I would not do the same thing with that truck. <laughs> the center of gravity is not the same. The handling is not the same. And it would not, uh, it, it would not end up the same way that, it, <laughs> that I had done before. So the reason you have these certain cars and they're, they're, they're made to handle certain things. That probe was wonderful to drive. However, it would not carry a bunk bed. <laughs> Nor would it carry all the wood. that I, Actually, it got some wood into it, but it wouldn't carry all the wood that the truck would. And so that's why we have the different vehicles for different things. But if you want to take something around some curves and really be able to enjoy them, you need a car that can handle them. And when God has some delicate work to do, He needs believers who can handle the turns. And not every believer has built themselves for that. Some of them have not learned how to listen. They don't know how to turn on a dime. They don't know how to slow down, downshift, and ease into the turn and put the accelerator down as you get about halfway through. I don't know why that works. I just know that it does. If you are halfway into a turn and you put the accelerator down, you actually have more traction into the curve than if you put the accelerator down in the first half. I, an engineer could probably explain that. I don't know how to explain it. I just know it works wonderfully. But God needs us to learn how to negotiate this life. Paul was one of these guys that God could trust to take on down a windy, twisty road and know Paul will respond to everything that I tell him to do. And he could trust him with that. The reason some of us have not gone into some areas of ministry that maybe we are looking to get into or would like to get into is because we cannot 
be trusted. We can't be handled. God says this, this one hasn't developed a handling all that well. We, we can't take them into some of these areas. They'll get hurt. We can't use them there. So we'll keep using them in these areas. You know, we'll put them on I-95 and uh, 76 and some of the, uh, the, the main roads because, you know, there's not a whole lot of delicate stuff you've got to do there. But Paul was one that God could take him into remote places and if God said, don't do something, he didn't do it. He would listen. We need to get ourselves to that place if we want to be used by God. There is nothing wrong with a super sensitive uh, ear to the things of the Spirit. Oh, I'd help you out in just about everything that you do. But if you learn it, God can trust you with some things. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. In order to not preach the word in Asia, where do you have to be? In Asia. (laughs) If you're not in Asia, you can't preach the word there. You can't be forbidden to preach the word there because you weren't there. He just forbid you to go. He didn't forbid them to go. They were there and they were forbidden to teach. To preach the word. Why? I don't know. Paul doesn't say. But he knew that on the inside, I am forbidden to teach. Now, the word here for forbidden, it means to hinder, to prevent, or to forbid. To hinder, to prevent, or to forbid. Here's a couple of uh, places in the Bible where this word is used. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. Do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Luke 23, verse 2, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the King. In 1 Corinthians 14, 39, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. So these are some other places where it's used. And God forbade them to teach in Asia. For some reason, that would have done something that God didn't want. It wasn't that God didn't want the people in Asia to get born again. That's, that's not God. But somehow, that would have stopped what God wanted to do next. We all know that where he did teach, it stirred up some people and they came after him. And maybe he's teaching over in Asia would have stirred up some more things and that would have made it hard to do what God wanted to do. Whatever it was, Paul listened. It didn't make sense. You got to understand some of the things that God says to do do not make sense because his wisdom is above ours. It's on a different level and we have to listen because to us, washing in the Jordan doesn't cure leprosy. Going fishing, you don't usually find money in the mouths of fish, but God has a, a way to do it. We need to learn to submit to God because the part of the part of the whole thing of of God being able to steer and direct us is our level of submission. We need to learn submission. Oh, I'll tell you what, you need to learn how to submit. And everybody wants to say, well, I am submitted to God. No, you, you don't learn submission by learning submission to God. And people want to go around saying, I'm submitted to God. I can tell right off the bat whether they're submitted from God to God or not. Look at how they are to other people. I've seen some real spiritual people, think they're spiritual anyway, and they go around talking about how submitted they are to God and they are not submitted to a single person in this life. 
that person is not submitted to God. They'll talk like it, but the only one they're submitted to is themselves. And it shows. Don't, don't, don't be getting around that. Don't be getting around that. You need to, if you're going to get under somebody, if you're going to listen to somebody, that person better be submitted to someone else. If they're not submitted to someone else, then really all they're submitted to is themselves. And all you're going to get is wrong stuff. You need to stay out of that. You got to learn submission. If you want to go on in the kingdom of God, you got to learn to submit. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, I don't think I wrote this in your outline. You can write it in there if you want to. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Two things here. First off, God is going to test you. He is going to, and the purpose of test is to move you on. That's the whole purpose of a test. It is to move you on. The reason you took tests in sixth grade was to go into seventh grade. The reason you took tests in college was to graduate and get a degree. The purpose of tests are to move you on, not to break you, not to keep you down. That's their purpose. So God is going to, first off, he's going to test you with some money. Well, he says, well, he hasn't done that yet. I don't have any money. Everybody's got some money. I don't have much. Don't matter. God's going to test you with some money. He's going to give you, you're going to have some money. You're going to get a job. You're going to start earning some money on your own. And God's going to see what you're going to do with it. How are you going to handle your money? Because by that, he can tell whether you're learning. Because God will start giving you some things to do with your money. And you, nope, nope, it's my money. I worked hard for this money. Well, you're not learning submission, are you? Here's the other one. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Every single person who has gone on in the area of ministry for God, not gone on in the area of ministry for themselves. Some people have done that. But everyone who has gone on in the area of ministry for God has had to be faithful with what is someone else's. In other words, you become, you become part of fulfilling a vision that God has given to someone else. Which means, and here's the tough part. Here's where you learn submission. Is that... And, well, I'm going to get me ahead of myself. God will begin to speak to you about that area that you are involved in in ministry. And sometimes what you are hearing from God will not jive with the person who's in charge of the vision. And then you are given a choice. Do I follow after what I feel God is telling me or do I remain faithful in doing what this person tells me. What should we do? See, that's where you're learning. And this is what Paul's learning. Well, I feel that God is telling me not to teach, but that's what I'm supposed to do. Huh. But see, Paul had already learned this before. This wasn't the first time he had learned it. And we need to learn that as well. And this is why you need to be faithful under another ministry before God can put more into your hands. Because you have to learn how to bring that together. If you walk in such a way, well, God has told me to do this, and even though it doesn't agree with you, I'm going to do it this way, you have failed. You failed the test, and you won't move on. Not with God. You can move on yourself. 
You can elevate yourself and move yourself on, but you won't move on with God. There's a reason that Jesus put this in here. First off, he's going to test you with money. Secondly, he's going to test you by putting you under someone else. And you are going to pick up on some things that maybe could be done, should be done, but it's not quite jiving with the with whoever's over you. And so what do you do? You need to learn how to take what you are hearing from God and make it fit in the vision you are in. And until you learn how to do that, you are not able to move on with God. Now, I had to do that myself. I was in, under a different one. I came in from, from Ramah learning all kinds of stuff about faith and healing. And I got involved in a church that didn't believe in faith and healing as strongly as I did. Now, people knew where I came from and they would ask me questions about the thing. And they would go, and I knew, well, they're not teaching it that way. And that's not where the pastor is. So I had a choice. I could undermine the pastor. Or I could go on and teach other things. But I decided, you know what? I can't undermine the pastor. That's not my call. That's not what I'm supposed to be here for. So I went on and taught other things. You know, there's other things you can teach in the Bible besides faith and healing. And so I just taught other things and worked in that area. I wasn't, I wasn't there to create strife and create problems. I had to learn how to do that. Now, I was, I was still hearing things from God in the area of faith and healing. I was still learning stuff. But I'm not to get up in church and teach it. And I had to learn how to how to, to mix with that. And there was a lot of other situations. There were things that I felt like, you know, we needed to do and would be good to do. And the pastor said, nope, we can't do that. I don't know exactly why, but all right, that's fine. We won't do that. And I had, it's a learning process. There's a learning process to get in, in and do that. And if you don't, you don't get to move on. Because God will know this. If you can't submit to someone that you can see, you cannot submit to someone you cannot. Same thing as the Bible says. If you can't love the people that you see, don't tell me you can love the people you can't. Don't tell me you love God whom you can't see if you can't love those you do see. Don't tell me you can submit to God you can't see if you can't submit to those you can't. You've got to learn how to submit to those that you can. When you learn it, it changes the way that you hear. It changes your ability to be able to be directed around hairpin turns. It changes the way that you can do it. Now, there's all kinds of different levels of, of even in the area of driving. How many of you ever watched those uh, race car drivers? My uh, grandfather used to love watching race car drivers. I never picked up the love that he had. Not for, oh, there, I know there's all different kinds. There's what, NASCAR, and then there's, um, uh, is it Indy? Is that another type of one? And, and uh, whatever are the ones they have out there. I, I don't really know any of them. But I know taking a car 200, 220, 200 and whatever miles an hour and going around some of those turns, that can make you a little bit nervous. I remember back when they uh, took the speed limit. How many remember the speed limit used to be 55 miles an hour? All the way across the country, thanks to President Jimmy Carter. <laughs> speed limit, 55 miles an hour, as fast as you can go. And uh, I remember when uh, it was removed, too. And then you can go 65. And in some states, I found out going from here to Oklahoma, some states let you go 75. Well, you know, you're going 75 miles an hour, and then most people are going, you know, 5, 10 miles an hour over that, so you're going 80, 85. That's a whole lot different than going 55. And I, I remember the first time I was driving on down the highway going at this speed, I was a little bit nervous. I was a little un- unsure about that because I hadn't gone that fast. And that's only, you know, 80, 85 miles an hour down the road. These guys are going 200, 220, no trouble at all. And they do it for hours. 
That's just amazing to me today. That's a, that's a whole nother level of driving. That's when they did that too. I found out my probe speed speedometer topped out at 85. So I've never gone faster than 85 miles an hour on the road. That was a joke. I think it slipped above it a few times, but I just, uh, it never registered. He says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You have got to learn the balance of hearing things from God and putting it to work in a vision that is not your own before you are ready to hear things from God and put it into a vision he has given you. Brother Keith Moore used to say this all the time. I think I've repeated it before. But he said, if people come up to him and says, um, you know, uh, uh, I think you ought to do it this way. And, uh, you know, it's nice that you think that. And he'd go on. He said, well, you're going to do it? And the end of the conversation would end something like this. He says, look, I don't get to do what I want to do. Why would I do what you want to do? (laughs) You got to do what God wants to do. You got to follow after God. And the more that you learn how to submit to that, the more that you do what God wants to do, even when it's different from what you want to do. Because the problem that most people have when they're learning how to hear the voice of God in direction, the problem that most of them have is we can't get past the voice of ourselves. And too often Christians think that what I want is what God wants. And they become very passionate about it and very strong about it and end up causing a lot of dissension, rifts, problems. And that's not God. That's not how God does it. Remember what we looked at last week. Let me go back and read this for you. In James chapter 3, verse 17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's something we've got to learn. That does not come easy. But the people who learn this are the people that God can say, we can use them in some of these very delicate areas. Because they'll they'll be all right. You know, some people are good at delicate things. Some people have real steady hands and they become surgeons. And some people fail at the game operation. And we don't become surgeons. You know, I never did well at that operation. Especially that uh, wishbone. Not the wishbone. Well, the wishbone was tough too. But that one that was uh, straight and uh, looked like a Dino bone. Whatever that one was. I had so much trouble with that. I gave up on the game because I just... I wasn't good for that. They were forbidden. Verse 7. Acts chapter 16, verse 7. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Now there, they didn't quite make it, did they? They wanted to go into this area over here, but the Spirit did not permit them. Before, they were in the area, but they were forbidden to teach. Now they wanted to go over here, but the Spirit did not permit them. Well, why did they want to go over there? Because they saw an area that needed the gospel. Well, let's take the gospel over here. And they wanted to go. They were making plants and and down on the inside, the Spirit, it wouldn't wouldn't permit them. Now, it's not that an angel was standing in the way. It wasn't, he wasn't blocking them. He wasn't just closing all the doors. They're they're wanting to go and down on the inside of them. Now, now, man, I'm just not feeling like we're supposed to do that. I'm not feeling that release to going out there to do that. And so they, they didn't do it. They, they didn't go. You know, the, there's a whole lot that God can do for us in, the, in being directed. I've told this story before, but it was just such an impressive story. 
How many remember the story Lester Summerall told? Lester, I mean, I mean, no Lester Summerall? I'll tell you what, what a wonderful guy. He came over to Raymond the first time and he started teaching about stuff. I'd never heard of him before. Never heard, first time I ever heard of him. And uh, kind of a gruff guy, a little, little rough around the edges, but boy, he had some, some neat stuff to, to share. Well, when he got started in ministry, he was over at um, oh, uh, Howard Carter's meeting. And Howard Carter had, and of course, there's some things. He had prophesied some things over him. And there were some, some of the very things that uh, he had heard or prayed or said in his prayer closet. And he was really feeling a, a connection with this. And, and so he went up to Brother Carter afterwards and he says, I, I think I need to team up with your ministry and, and, and follow you for a while. And so Howard Carter said, that's fine. If the Lord's telling you to do that, and, and all the while, Howard Carter felt the same thing, but he wasn't going to tell him. He felt the same thing that he was supposed to do it. And so he said, well, look, I'm going to be down in, um, uh, I'm going to be down in, the, in the Philippines, I think it was. So why don't you just meet me over in the Philippines? You know, he, had, he had to go home and get his house in order and get some things taken care of. You just, you just go ahead and do that and then get a, a boat. Back then, that's what, all it was, it was boats. And meet me out there in the Philippines. So that's what they're going to do. They're going to meet out in the Philippines. There was no cell phones. There wasn't the kind of communication that you have here now. And so there was no way they could be in touch with each other. But he uh, got everything put together, went on out to the coast out in California, was buying a boat ticket to go from there to the Philippines. And he bought his boat ticket. And the whole time, down in his spirit, he said he felt unrest. He felt like, I'm not supposed to do this. Why am I not supposed to do this? God, you, you told me to, to, to hook up with Howard Carter and to go on out there. He's out there in the Philippines. I need to go. But he had so, so much unrest about it. He finally went up and he canceled the ticket, cashed it in, and finally he got some peace. He said, well, then what am I supposed to do? And what came up on the inside of him down in his spirit was go to the bottom of the earth. Well, the bottom of the earth, as far as he knew, was Australia. And so he booked passage on, the, on a boat to go from where he was out to Australia. And, you know, you're on a boat. You're not there in a couple hours. It takes a little while. It takes a few days. So the whole day he's going on down there, and he's, uh, he's saying, man, here I'm on a boat. I'm supposed to meet Howard Carter. He's in the Philippines. God wouldn't let me go to the Philippines. I'm going down over here to Australia. What in the world am I supposed to do when I get off the boat? Thinking that the whole way. Finally gets off the boat over in, the, in Australia, and uh, no one knows he's coming. He hasn't been able to communicate this to anybody. He can't get in touch with Howard Carter to tell him I'm down here in Australia. And so he uh, gets off the boat and he says, how, you know, what do you, what's the next step? And so he went around and asked some people. He says, is there a place around here where they worship God like this? And he raised his hands up. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, there's a church down over there. They do. And so he went down to the, where that church was and he saw a uh, house and he figured that was the parsonage. And he went up to the parsonage and he knocked on the door. And a man answered. And looked at him and says, you must be Lester Summerall. Howard Carter sent me to meet you. That story just blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. What was even funnier was when he, when he heard it from Howard Carter's side. Howard Carter uh, got uh, detoured from the Philippines and ended up in Australia. And he was complaining to God the whole time. Where is this man you were sending me? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm reading this, this story in this book. And he's, he's telling the story. Where is this man? You told him to meet you in the Philippines. Where is this man that you were supposed to be sending me? And I uh, came up in his spirit. said, send somebody on down to this church. Have him meet him. He'll come over to the parsonage. And so the man was there on the day that he needed to be there. And I mean, is that amazing? Oh, I'll tell you what. If you read Lester Summerall's biography that he wrote, that's the first chapter in there. If you want to read the whole story and get all the details that I left out. What a, what a story. Now, that's a person who can be guided through hairpin turns. Isn't it? 
And that's when he was starting in ministry. So he had learned some things before. And boy, I tell you what, he learned some things after. If you ever want a real good book to read, sit on down and read that, that thing, that whole book there, the whole bio. What a remarkable book. What a remarkable set of circumstances he had been in. number of times he was into things for the first time, taking on stuff that turned the country's attention, not just ours. He had a huge ministry in the Philippines. And he did things that made the papers. And he didn't know what he was doing. He just followed after and doing what God was saying. But that's what we need to get to. That's where God wants to take us. But you got to, these are the areas that you got to listen. With your money, listen to God speaking to you to tell you to do some things. He's going to tell you to do some stuff with your money and just to, to get you developed in this area. He's also going to tell you some things in the area of serving under someone else, helping someone else in ministry. Because your own self is going to rise up. And he's going to teach you how to put your own self down so that you can listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So when you're out on your own doing something for God, God can help you. And he can, he can lead you. But those are the two areas. If you didn't get that, it was Luke chapter 16, verse 10 through 13. But here it says he didn't permit them to go into Bithynia. Now the word here, not to permit, means not to allow, not to permit. In verse, uh, 43 of Matthew 24, but know this, that if a master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Right? If you knew that a robber is coming, you don't let him get in. Luke chapter 4 and verse 41, and demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, you are the Christ, the Son of God, and he rebuked them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. In Acts chapter 19, verse 30, and when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. I don't know how many of you ever get a chance to listen to Rick Renner. I thoroughly enjoy listening to Rick Renner. I can listen to his old stuff over and over again. He told a story of uh, sometime in the last couple of years. Maybe you heard it, maybe you didn't. But he was out at a special meeting. And he and his wife were at these meetings, and they were just there to kind of get refreshed and, and enjoy the meetings. And there were some great folks that were there teaching and so they were, uh, one of the evening meetings, they were supposed to be there. And so they're getting ready. They had been at the morning meeting and they came on back and they were, they were going to the evening meeting. And down in his spirit, Rick said, you're not supposed to go. And he thought, what do you mean? We came out here for these meetings. We came out to this place for these meetings. Uh, they're going to have great services going on tonight. What do you mean I'm not supposed to go? That can't be God. And uh, he talked himself out of it. And finally, he got into the car. And they went on over. They were being driven. And they had a driver. And they were driving them on over. And he got to there. And they went on in, went into the meeting. And down in the spirit, it's just bugging him. You are not supposed to be here. And so finally, he gave into it. He says, uh, honey, you stay here and have the meeting. I'm not supposed to be here. And I don't know why. I'm going to go back to the hotel. And so he got back into the car. And the driver took him on back to the hotel. And he got in there. And when he came on back to the hotel room... The hotel room looked like someone else had been there. The place was ransacked. And a robber had come in and took, taken a lot of their jewelry, a lot of their valuables, and they also took his laptop computer. And on his laptop computer were three books that he had no backup copy for. The only copy... He was, writing, he was busy writing these three books. They were nearly done. And I don't, I don't know why you do that, but... No, I have to talk with Brother Rick about backups. <laughs> but that's the only place he had it. Three books, only place, gone. Do you listen? 
he had stayed there, that wouldn't have happened, would it? Well, why didn't God just have the people go? Well, you don't understand what God can do. You need to learn to listen. There's a, there's a guidance in the area of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to teach you the, the, the first, the, the elementary school in this is money and serving under someone else. If you're not serving under someone else and you don't have any money, you can't get into school. That's where the school is. That's elementary level. That's entry. He says, if I can't trust you with money, how can I trust you with what's important? <laughs> God doesn't consider money important. We do. He doesn't. But what kind of things does God consider to be important? Oh, I could tell you. You probably already know some of the answers to that. God can give us all sorts of things. Things that He calls important. More valuable than money. For this area of guidance and direction to work in my life, I must yield. And this is the hard thing for us to learn is to how to yield to the Spirit. Because we have all these things we want to do for God. Jesus was taken out beyond the Jordan in John chapter 11 to learn how to yield. And of course, he learned it well. Well, it doesn't mean he, did, he was resistant. It doesn't mean he wasn't yielding. It means he learned how to yield better. You've got to learn how to do that. No matter what it is that we do, how many of y'all know we can learn to do it better? And sometimes God says, all right, look, I need you to get ready for what's ahead. I need you to learn how to yield even more than you are. You need to learn this better. You've still got some resistance. You've still got some things when something comes up on the inside of you, you want to do it no matter what. I need you to get rid of that because I need to be able to use you. It's important. It's huge. Keep going, These stories keep coming to me and sometimes they're just as important. But how many remember the story that Brother Hagin told where he was uh, on, his, on the road and he was doing ministry, uh, going from church to church and ministering. And they, they were doing very hard. It was very hard financially for them. And uh, many times he had just enough to get from one place to the other. And then he's out of money. He's out of gas. There's no credit cards. There's no other way to get to these places. He was, it was really a faith ride. And on three occasions, God told him, take the $20 that's in your pocket. Take the $10 that's in your pocket. Take the $30 and whatever it was in his pocket. Take everything that's in your pocket and give it to that person over here. But Lord, if I do that, I won't be able to, I won't be able to make it to the next meeting. I don't have any gas. How am I supposed to do it? And, and God took care of it, but he said, I need you to do it. So he had to first of all take the money out and then give it away before anything else came in for him to, to be able to do that. But three times it was done that way. In three different meetings, God told him to do it. And then in, he was in one meeting. And as he was preparing for the evening meeting, up, up in his spirit, he had a vision. And he saw something. He saw six people in wheelchairs over on the left-hand side. He said, I could see exactly where they were lined up. And he said, I saw myself in the course of the meeting going over and laying hands on all six of them. And he said, and five of them got up and walked out of their wheelchairs. Five out of the six walked out of their wheelchairs. I don't know what happened to the sixth one, but I know it was five out of six got just walked out. And afterwards... The Lord spoke to Brother Kenneth, Kenneth Hagin about it. And he said to him, he said, do you remember when I told you to give that 20? Do you remember when I told you to give that 30? Do you remember when I told you when I gave? And he said, yeah, yeah, I remember that. He said, if you not, had not listened to me on those three occasions, I could not have used you here. I could not have used you here. Wow. How many times do we want to be used there, but we're not willing to be listening here? 
Verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troash, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see how that's worded? The vision did not come in such a way that they knew it was God. After the vision came, they concluded that might, you know, that may have been God wanting us to do that. Huh. All right, he wouldn't, he wouldn't let us go over here. He wouldn't let us preach the gospel over here. But I had this vision, and this man in Macedonia is calling us. Maybe that's God telling us that we ought to go. The direction is uncertain as to its origin. They didn't, they're not real sure where it came from. But Paul must determine its source and meaning. He's got to determine where it came from and then determine what it means. And he was able to do so. And they went over to Macedonia and they had a hard time at first, but eventually turned around and they were able to do some things there. In Acts chapter 20, 17 through 24, I think I uh, messed the punctuation up on yours. I corrected it on mine, but 17 through 24. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, He said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, what happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. How many of you, if you had testimony in every place that you went, chains and tribulation await you? How many of you are going in another direction? (laughs) If you get into a place and they say, chains and tribulation await you going to Jerusalem. Oh, we're not going there then. We're going. (laughs) How's Ephesus? How about Galatia? Mm -hmm. Oh, Colossians. We haven't been there for a while. Corinthians. That's even a better spot than... How many of you are finding direction in another spot? If every place you go, you hear that. But see, Paul was a mature person. He had grown in this. So he said, we heard these things. The chains of tribulation await me. But verse 24, but none of these things move me. That's a tough place to get to. But you need to get to a place where none of these things move you. And that's what the whole development process is. It's getting you to a place where none of these kind of things move you. When you have a direction from God and God says, Paul, I need you to appear before Jerusalem. Okay, I'm going. And you face opposition on that way there. What do you, I have from God. I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem and preach the gospel. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, but it's going to be tough. I have from God that I'm supposed to go. See, he's ready. He's mature. He's been made, made prepared for this. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Too often we count things dear to ourselves, and that's what's holding us back. The process of this education, of learning how to be moved by the Spirit, is to get you freed up from that. Because when you get freed up from that, and you are no longer bound to think that those things that you have are important, you are opened up to what God has to send your way and to give you. 
But none of, these, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify that the gospel of the, of the grace of God. He says, uh-uh, I'm finishing. There is nothing that's going to keep me from not finishing. I am finishing. I am going to take, it, take this all the way on through. I don't care what awaits me. I'm going to do this. You don't get there overnight. Paul was developed into this. And God raised him up to the point that God said to Paul, Paul, I need you to appear for me in Rome. I need you to appear for me in Jerusalem. I need you to be the one to go before kings. I need you to do it. Are you up for it? It's going to be tough. They're going to put you through all sorts of stuff. Are you up for it? And Paul says, I'm ready. I've been made ready. You just direct me on through this thing. And we'll be, we'll be fine. There are no specifics, just generalities. But he was able to, to, to stay with it. Sometimes we want more specifics. How many of y'all know you like more specifics? No, Moses. What, what kind of uh, direction did Moses get? Go lead my people out of, the, out of Egypt. Take them over to the promised land. But y- y- y'all know, there's a whole lot more stuff that happened. There's no mention of an army. There's no mention of a Red Sea. There's no mention of water from rocks, manna from heaven. There's no mention of any of that stuff. Just a general thing to, to go out there and do. And how long did Moses do that ministry for? 40 years. 40 years he operated on the directive. I need you to go out there and take my people out. Lead them into the promised land. And then Joshua, he went on the directive. Go take them into the promised land. And he did that for uh, 40 years with Moses, serving under someone else's ministry, and then on his own. He went on in there and, and did that. And most of the prophets and most of the people, they just had small things to do. They just had small things to, to go about and to do. But And they're given general stuff. They're not given all the things about all the specifics. Mary, Mary says what? I need you to have the Jesus, the Messiah. How can this be? I'm a virgin. How can, this, how can this be? There's a story that was told. There was a, a young boy, five years old. And he's proud as can be. He was a sheep in the Christmas play. And he went up to this girl. She was, uh, she was getting ready. And she said, I'm a sheep in the Christmas play. Who are you? And the girl says, I'm Mary. And he realized, I'm talking to one of the main characters in the play. And so he's trying to build up, you know, who, who he is and what he was. He's trying to impress, you know, this other girl, five-year-old boy, trying to impress this girl. And so he goes, do you know how tough it is to be a sheep? And she said, do you know how tough it is to be a virgin? <laughs> we don't always know all the things that Mary went through, but she wasn't told about all that. She may have imagined some stuff, but she wasn't told. Verse 21 of Acts, Acts uh, verse 1 of chapter 21 of Acts. Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos the following day to Rhodes and from there to Patera. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail and we had, set, had sighted Cyprus. We passed it on the left and sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding the disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul, through the Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. 
When he had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the sea. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. One, one side note on this. You notice how people came and in the Spirit told them not to go to Jerusalem? But yet Paul was told by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem? There are things that people can pick up in the realm of the Spirit, and the things are true. There is going to be difficulty awaiting him in Jerusalem. But they interpret it wrong. It's real easy for immature Christians to hear correctly what's going on in the Spirit, but to interpret it wrong. And they spout out the wrong interpretation, even though it was based on something right. And it takes someone like Paul, who was mature, he was able to sift through it. That would throw some people. It didn't throw him. And we come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we knelt down to the shore and prayed, and we had taken our leave of one another. We boarded the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied, and as he was staying many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when we would not be persuaded, we cease saying, the, Lord, the will of the Lord be done. So we even got a prophet with props. And, and still, no one's picking up on what God has actually said. A whole lot of people in the body of Christ are saying things based on what they pick up in the Spirit, and they're wrong in what they're saying. Because we find time after time where Paul is running into these folks. Sometimes even modern day preachers have taught that Paul missed it in going to Jerusalem. Paul did not miss it in going to Jerusalem. He was told by God to go. He's just also told it's going to be tough. But Paul was ready for it. In Acts chapter 27, verse 9, you can read that whole section. I put the whole section in there for you if you want to. I'm just going to pull out some of the highlights. Verse 9, Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because of the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss. Not only the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest in the winter there. So they weren't necessarily going to try and finish the journey, but they at least wanted to get to a port that would be better to winter at. And Paul said, I perceive. He didn't have a vision. I perceive he's picking this up in the spirit. Now, he's not in control of where he goes right now. If it was up to Paul, he would have stayed. But it's not up to him. He's a prisoner because he's being taken to a place to testify for God. And so he has to go. He said, I perceive that this voyage will end in shipwreck and loss of life. Now, it didn't end in loss of life, but it did end in a shipwreck. It's a perception. He's hearing this in the spirit. It's a perception. Verse 13, when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete. But not long after, a tempest headwind arose called Eurycladon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, 
We secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird, undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirta sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed the next day, they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Throughout all, those, all the stuff they were doing with money. Verse 21, But after a long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. It was just a perception. It was just something he was hearing in his spirit. But was it wisdom? And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. More than likely, he was praying for them and asking for such. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now they're going to be a little bit more willing to listen to him now. But look at what he says. Before it was a perception. Now an angel shows up and talks to him. That's a whole lot more certain. As we were always taught, the more certain the revelation, the greater the trial. Don't pray for angels to visit. Because if they visit, it's... What's ahead of you is tough. Mary had an angel visit. What was ahead of her? It was tough. The perception came from the Holy Spirit. The the specifics came from an angel. Where we need to go, the the wisdom that we get comes from God. If we're going to have wisdom and direction, it's going to be what He leads us to do. What He says to do. He wants to give you wisdom in leading and guidance and direction in your life because that's a place that you're passionate about right now. And he wants to help you to to follow that. But in so doing, he wants to train you up that you can hear what is to be said to other people. But there's a process because too many Christians hear what's going on from God and then pass it on with their interpretation. And they mess up people's lives. And God doesn't want you to get there. He wants you to hear and then interpret. And you've got to be able to do that. It, it, it's just because you hear from God doesn't mean that you're supposed to go out there and, and, and speak it and tell it. First time that God was moving me in, in my life in this and telling me things about people was when I was a youth pastor in a church. And I would be, uh, after the meeting would be over, I just would be walking around. And God would say, that person right over there needs to speak to you on this topic. And I wasn't told what I was supposed to say to him. Most times I just told, that person needs to speak to you on this topic. I never went up to, never one time went up to him and said, the Lord told me that you need me to talk to me about this. Because I would throw him. I would go up to them and I would open up a conversation and I would work the conversation around to that area. And as soon as I got to that that area, every single time they opened up and they told me stuff. And the word of God rose up inside me and I was able to speak to him what the word of God said. And they went off and either did it or they didn't do it. And it's up to them what they want to do. I remember one time I was sitting in the youth group and I was teaching. And in, right in the middle of teaching, right in the middle of teaching, I got a vision on a person. I knew a situation that person was going to go, go up. I can still remember it. There were four people over to my, to my left-hand side as I stood there teaching. And I knew a a situation they were going to go through. I didn't know when they were going to go through it, but I knew exactly the situation was, what they were going to do, and what they should do about it. But I'm in the middle of teaching. What am I supposed to do? Stop the thing, thus says the Lord? I I didn't know. I hadn't gotten this before. See, it's important not only that you hear from God, it's important that you hear from God what to do with what you hear. 
because you can mess some things up. I said, God, I don't know what to do with this. And I did nothing. I said nothing about it that whole night. I let it go. And uh, I'm still, but I'm still seeking. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is God. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this person is going to go through this thing. I don't know when. I just know they're going to go through it. And it was about three weeks later, and I saw this person sitting on the church steps, and down in my spirit came these words, it's happened. And so I went over and I sat next to them. And they told me everything that would happen, that I had heard in the... In the uh, in that moment, I, they told me everything that had happened. And I knew what they were supposed to do next. I knew it. But I didn't know that I could come out with, well, thus says the Lord. And so I made the suggestion to them, how about going this way? How about going out in, 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 in this direction? And we talked about how that would, how that would work. And I never told them, never to this day, that person still has no idea that God ever told me that that thing was going on. It wasn't for me to tell them. See, sometimes you get things from God and God needs to know he can trust you. Maybe I could have done something better if I was more at, uh, more at, um, uh, used to that. God may have been able to tell me, all right, now handle it this way. Go out there and do it in this, this kind of a way. But I didn't uh, exactly know that. I didn't have that for sure. There was a time here in church years ago. Someone, in, probably most of you don't even know. But... There was a person who would every once in a while come out to the congregation. And we were sitting here in worship. And as we were sitting here in worship, I, uh, you know, sometimes people are coming in and out of the, coming in, you know, late to the service. And, uh, and someone came in and I felt darkness come in. And in the spirit, I could see it. Darkness came in, but I didn't know who came in and I didn't look back. I just kept on going, kept worshiping. And um, I, I, I got a word for them. And I knew I was supposed to give them this word. And so after worship was over, I got up and I called that person out and gave them that word. They didn't listen. And they're, they're, they didn't go in a good direction. And I know it's because they didn't follow it. It's, it's, it was obvious it was because they didn't follow it. But you see, you've you got to listen to the, the things of God. And when you listen to the things of God, God's going to, he's going to give you some things. Now you say, well, I'm not in a minute. Don't matter where you are. God can give you things for people that you work for. He can speak to, but he wants to know how, how, how do you handle it? What do you do with it? If I speak guidance and direction to you, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to seek after me as to what to do? Or are you just going to go out there and, cause some people, they get something from God and they want to blow their own whistle. I got something from God. God spoke to me. Wow. <laughs> we're, we're, just cause we receive the thing from God doesn't mean that we're anything. What's important is that the person listen. There was a, a, a young man, got a word done at Raymond. Brother Hagin said to, said to him, put on a mountain. He said, there's a spirit of death over you. And if you come and you'll meet me in my office, we can work through this. And he said, I, he, Brother Hagin tried to put this later on. said, I knew in the spirit he needed to talk with me three times. And on the third time, we would get victory. Three times. So the student body was beginning to ask this guy, did you, did you meet with Brother Hagin yet? No. No, I didn't get to that. No. They kept asking him, did you meet with Brother Hagin yet? He never met with Brother Hagin. Never went into his office, had an open invitation, and never, never took him up on it. A few weeks later, his roommate woke up. He was staying over in the Raymond housing and found his roommate dead. 
They had died. Not from suicide or anything, anything like that, just he was dead. God wants to use you. He wants to speak to you. Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a... It doesn't matter. God will use anybody. Anybody that he can. But you're going through school right now. Are you ready to listen? Are you ready to learn? Are you going to take those things as areas where you're at? Or are you going to resist and hang on to what is yours? To be led by the Holy Spirit involves four things. First off, hearing. You've got to hear from God. Perceiving. You've got to know that it came from God. Hearing and perceiving. Just because you hear something in the Spirit doesn't mean that's what you are to say. Oh, I wish people could get hold of this. The more you get tuned into the Spirit, the more things you hear. But not everything is from God. There are sometimes, and I've, I've seen uh, ministers take advantage of this, where you can pick up on something that's going on in the spirit of an individual. And you can take that and use that into a prophecy and get that person to be real excited. But it's wrong. It's not from God. You're not speaking things that come from God. You're speaking things that are going on in the spirit as if they came from God. And you got to be real careful with that because you can hear stuff about people. Sometimes you just go up there and you're just next to people and you hear it. It's in the spirit. This is going on doesn't mean that God wants it going on, but sometimes people will pick up on that and begin to speak to it like God wants it going on. That's wrong. Hearing, perceiving. Number three, proving. Once you perceive that it's from God, you've got to perceive where it comes from. You've got to prove what is it that this is supposed to do. What is it that we're supposed to accomplish with this thing? Hearing, perceiving, proving, and yielding. There is a yielding to the things of God. God does not force himself on you. He does not force you to take a direction. When, he's, when Paul says we were forbidden, he could have very easily let off and preached anytime he wanted to. But down in the spirit, he heard the spirit of God say, don't do it. And he listened. He yielded. You got to learn how to yield. Like that probe. That probe had to, knew how to yield really good to controls. To be effective, we must be mature. If we're going to be effective, we've got to be mature. There's a growing process is there. You can be led in a direction two ways. Through God's voice or your voice, my voice. Two things, God's voice or your voice. Those are the two things that are going to lead you as a Christian. My choice can never override God's voice. Can never do it. You've got to get yourself to the place where your choice will never override what God wants you to do. Many people say, I put this in my notes and I want to make sure I had this right for you. Many people say, God told me to do this, but it was actually their choice. You can especially see this when people quickly leave a path they said God put them on. Have you ever seen people say, God told me to do this? God told me to go in this direction. And two weeks later, how's that going? Oh, no, God, God told me to go another direction now. That person does not know how to discern the difference between their voice and God's voice. They haven't gone through school. Two examples. Abraham went out to rescue Lot. That was Abraham's choice, wasn't it? But what did God say about it? Yeah, go. <laughs> I'm right there with you. And God helped him. David had a desire to build the temple. That was his choice, right? What did God say about it? No, you're not the man to do it. I appreciate your desire, but you're not the man. Your son will do it. 
When his word abides in you, your choice is one with his voice. When his word abides in you, I don't mean you just know it. I don't mean you just hear it. I mean when the word abides in you. John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. I put this quote in your outline. I want to make sure you got it. All heaven is waiting to help those who will discover the will of God and do it. You will discover the will of God and do it. There is the wisdom of God in guidance and direction. And when it comes from God, it's wisdom. It's extreme wisdom. But it won't be recognized by us if we don't prepare ourselves. Paul had to recognize it was wisdom to not preach the word while he was in Asia. He had to recognize that it was wisdom to not go into an area that he wanted to go into and God said that God didn't permit him to go. He had to realize it was wisdom to go down to a place where everyone was said you're going to be in chains and in prison. The wisdom of God is not like our wisdom. And we have to get to a place where we are willing to do what doesn't seem to make any sense. And you're going to do this first off with things like your money. And things of being faithful in what is someone else's. Because when you learn this and God moves you out into doing things on your own more, he knows I can trust this person. They can hear it. And they know how to take their voice and their desires and submit it to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's a lesson. Oh, I'll tell you what, many Christians live and die on this earth and never learn it. Never learn it. They're always at the helm. It is always their voice that is the most, most heard, that is the most yielded to. If you want to find out how does, this, how does this work, look at the end result of some of the things that you have followed, some of the things you have listened to, and then compare it to James chapter 3. Is it peaceable? Does it bring joy and all those other good things? Or did it bring unrest, uncertainty, division? God wants to lead us. You want to pray for wisdom? For dealing with things, we dealt with that last time. You need to pray for wisdom sometimes and guidance and direction. And this is important because it's getting you ready to speak things that you hear from God into other people. You're not always supposed to go up to them and say, thus says the Lord. Sometimes you just talk to them about it. How many times did Jesus go up to people and say, thus says the Lord, you shall sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. He doesn't usually say stuff like that, does he? He says it in such a way that the person can hear it and decides whether they want to listen or not. Because those are the people that can go on with God. There is wisdom available for your life. And God wants to speak it to you. How many of you all know our lives would be different and better if we only had followed a direction that God had given us and not our own? If we only hadn't followed our voice and we followed his, how much better? I like Bob's testimony because here are two problems at work and God gave him a solution for each one. And he's able to do his job better, which makes him more valuable to the person. And it saved him time. How much better is it for us if God gives us wisdom on how to handle things? If we just spend a few moments asking God for wisdom 
And from that point on, guarding our speech to make sure that our speech lines up with our prayer. Father, I asked you for wisdom. I thank you that I have it. I will know exactly what I need to do when I need to do it. But he also wants to speak to you in guidance and direction. These are important things. These are helpful things. I hope we get a chance to put this to work this week even. Get some testimonies, bring one back. We'd like to hear about them. God has you in school. You may not realize it, and you may be flunking out, <laughs> but you're in school. God wants you to pass every test that comes your way. He wants you to move on. But He can't move you on until you pass the test because you aren't ready for what's ahead. And if He takes you into an area where you're not ready, it'll hurt you. And He doesn't want to hurt you. God loves you. He wants to develop you. He wants to make you ready for these things that are out there. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. You are prepared to speak to us. We are prepared to listen. We are ready to hear and honor the things that you say. We will spend the time to find out where it came from and what we are to do with it. We will spend the time to hear what you had to say, to develop it, to fully understand and to put it in action. For Father, when we do the things that you tell us to do, oh, wow, things change. We thank you for the help that you give us in it. We give you the praise and the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we look forward to hearing some more testimonies. You get some testimonies, how you're putting these prayers to work in your life. Oh, don't keep them to yourself. Let other people hear what God's doing with you, where you're, where you're going. I'd like to, like to hear all that.